more about Bobby Kennedy and my United States Senate plan. Please join us in listening to the remarkable story from the life and times of Michael Butler. In this podcast series, you'll be hearing stories from the primary themes of Michael Butler's life and memoirs. Politics, polo, theater, and love. Please subscribe via iTunes so you don't miss a single podcast. And we'll see you on the other side. Well, to uh, sort things out, Jack was elected president in 1960. Joe Kennedy had his stroke in 1961. And then Jack was assassinated in 1963. In 64, as I was explaining before, we got Otto Kerner reelected as the governor of Illinois. And I had become immersed uh, in politics a lot more than I ever expected. So in 1966, as I explained before, I ran for the U.S. Senate with a campaign that uh, I did, was not elected. I got a tremendous number of votes for a Democrat. But the campaign itself won all sorts of awards, and, uh, mostly due to Robert Peicher, whom I met when I opened the discotheque Le Bison in Chicago. In 66, I discovered with the Illinois State Senate election uh, how incredibly corrupt the politics in DuPage County, my home county, really were. Uh, DuPage was totally controlled by the Republican organization. And one of the key things that uh, we found out is an enormous number of voters were ghost voters. And it was a very corrupt election. It's rather interesting because we were always brought up, myself along with the others, to consider Cook County, where Chicago was, to be an incredibly corrupt place, a place where anything goes politically. Turned out that the Republicans in DuPage County put the Democrats in Cook County to shame. After this, in 1967, several interesting things happened. Number one, I decided with the help and promotion of Bobby, to uh, Bobby Kennedy, that is, to run for the U.S. Senate. And as a consequence, Otto Kerner and Mayor Daley of Chicago brought in a man from California called Hal Every. And Hal Every was the doyen, sort of the beginner of what is now known as a constant thing, the political PR experts. He came in. We had breakfast one morning at Natoma, my home in Oak Brook, and he went about the state to figure out how I would do under the situation, taking the results of the state Senate uh, as against the overall state situation for the Senate ship in the U.S. Senate uh, that I would I would undertake to run for that office. 
in a, a few days, or I think it was maybe about 10 days, Hal Every came back, and we had breakfast again at Natoma before he would report to Mayor Daly, who was really his uh, patron. Hal told me, he said, Michael, he said, you can win this election and win it very well with the governor and the mayor behind you. However, he said, you're crazy to run. You're going to lose a great deal of your private life. Polo will probably be out of the question. A lot of things that you do, your ladies or men, people that you like spending time with, so forth and so on, it's going to become a very hot subject, and you're not going to really enjoy uh, this type of a situation. Those uh, prophetic words of Hal Every uh, was the beginning of my beginning to wonder, but I was determined I was going to go ahead. And the next thing that happened is that I went down to New York with Governor Kerner when he was appointed in 1967 the head of the Civil Rights Commission for the United States. John Lindsay was his co-chair. John Lindsay was the Republican mayor of New York, quite a liberal Republican, I may say. While I was in New York City, I went into the Racket and Tennis Club, a private club that I belonged to, had spent a lot of time in when I was living in New York. And uh, there I picked up a New York Times and I saw an advertisement for Hair, the American Tribal Love Rock Musical. And as a consequence, a photograph in the ad showed Indian Braves. I did not notice that two of the Indian Braves had pale faces in them. I thought, my God, the Indians have their show together. They have something going on, and I really wanted to go see it. You'll recall that my great interest in life were about the Native Americans. It was because of my grandfather's influence on me as to the outrageous way the Native Americans had been treated. I ordered tickets to go see the first preview of Hair, which was at the Public Theater and their new Anspacker venue. What I saw that evening was the strongest anti-war statement I had ever seen. It was really not an, a Native American show. I thought, my God, this would be fantastic to have the constituents, my constituents in Illinois, see this show. It would explain what I felt about the Vietnam War and would have probably a very interesting effect on the election. I went to see it again and at that time asked if I could meet with Joe Papp, who was the head of the public theater. He was rather of a terrifying character, a very strong man, and I didn't know him and I thought, oh boy, this is going to be a real problem. However, I did know Roger Stevens, who was at that, that time head of the Kennedy Center and he had been my mentor in originally interest in the theater and had been involved with 
West Side Story and On Dean and The Golden Apple. And so I called Roger and asked him for an introduction to Joe Papp. And I asked him, I said, how about taking this show to Chicago? And Joe said, "Uh, we don't do that. What you saw were the first previews, and we'll run this for four to six weeks, and then we'll close it and go on to another show. So we finished our work in uh, the Civil Rights Commission and went back to Illinois, and uh, that was sort of the end of the subject. Otto Kerner had done such an outstanding job that it from then on became known as the Kerner Commission about Civil Rights. Meanwhile, back in Springfield, Dr. John Bishop, who was a friend of mine from New York and who had been treating me for vitamin deficiencies, had gone to Springfield to help Mrs. Kerner, who was having an alcoholic problem, and he had a cure for alcoholism that I had strongly suggested to the governor that this would be a good opportunity. Uh, One time, John was in the governor's limousine when they went to pick up Mayor Daly at the railroad station, and when they were driving back, the subject came up about my running for the U.S. Senate. Uh, Mayor Daly said, well, Mike, he always called me Mike, one of the few people who ever did. Uh, He said, Mike has a a very good chance of winning this election, but he's going to have to cut his hair. John reported this conversation to me, and it was another bell ringer as to my running for the U.S. Senate. Next thing that happened is that the phone rang about 10 days later, and it was Joe Papp from New York, and he called to say, we have opened, we have been reviewed, and we've got very good reviews, and would you be interested in doing a co-production in New York City? I immediately said, without even thinking, yes, and I realized that I had committed to a totally different scene. I called Otto Kerner, and right after him, Richard Daly, and told them, that I had decided to produce hair in New York City instead of running for the U.S. Senate. They thought I was crazy. They couldn't believe it. And uh, But that was the end of it. I had decided I was going to do this, and I was not going to give up my private life for the U.S. Senate. And I could be doing something that I would really believe in, which was a strong anti-war statement. So I guess one could say that it was a combination of several events, people, so forth and so on, but it goes back to Bobby Kennedy and then Otto Kerner, who were responsible for my being exposed to air and who ultimately saw me leave the political scene and go into the theater. Please subscribe via iTunes so you don't miss a single podcast. And we'll see you on the other side.